0: up welcome back welcome back again again every every week i I think i just i just open this up with the same thing every week make it make it easier on myself than trying to think of something something new to say i'm your host the liberty hippie here with you for week number 90 episode number 90 i guess um probably about the same number of weeks i don't don't know but uh yeah, that means you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 090. My guest this week, I uh, I heard him a couple weeks ago on uh, the Lions of Liberty, Mr. Don D'Angelo, and uh, he's a, a teacher out there in uh, San Diego, and he's been at it for a while, and he has done a, a pretty darn good job of it as well. So I thought, why not have him on to to talk about um, the school systems, right, to talk about the the Structure that the the state has set up for school and what that looks like, and maybe some of its failings, and um, you know some of his his thoughts on it. And really, he's he's seen a lot. He's thought about it a lot, um, and he's got a lot of a lot of good things to say. And uh, I think I think they're good for everyone to to listen and uh, hear. And he makes some some valid points about homeschooling and uh, some things to think about as we. As you go forward and as your your kids get older and require a little more depth of, of knowledge in, in certain fields, I encourage you all to to stick around and, and listen, because it's it's a good one. So let's go plant those liberty seeds with my guest, Mr. Don D'Angelo. The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz and the sky with no clouds. The heat was hot and the ground. My guest today is uh, Mr. Don D'Angelo. He's out there in uh, San Diego. He's uh well, he uh, does a multitude of things. Um, he's here today mostly because he's a teacher, but uh, I don't know. I'll let him kind of introduce himself here. Anyway, uh, thank you, Don, for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This is awesome. All
0: right. So you're, we'll start with your, your teaching there. Um, so you're, you're a teacher out there. Um, did you go to, public school as a kid? Were you homeschooled as a kid? How, what what did that, what was that experience?
1: I was in a public school. It was a central school. So I'm actually originally from New York, upstate New York. Um, so I was actually, I went to the same building complex for K through 12. That's how small. So it was, um, uh, I graduated in a class of 133 students and that's still the largest graduating class of my school. So that'll tell you how big it was. Um, and then, um, from there I went to the university of Delaware. Well, actually I went to college for a semester and was just a complete failure at it, dropped out for two years and then went back to school. And that's when I went to university of Delaware.
0: Okay. When you started going to college, was it, was, was teaching on your mind then?
1: No, not at all. Um, when I had start, well, first of all, I didn't really want to go to college at first, which is probably why the first semester was not a success. Um, but, um, I had been an exchange student in high school and I, uh, had originally I was a, a international relations cause I thought about going into either international law or, uh, international business.
0: Okay. So how, how far along the road then after you get done with college did, did teaching become an interest?
1: So this is where failure can sometimes point you in good directions, I guess. So, um, back back in those old old days in the uh 80s there were really just a handful of schools that did international law you know and and their grade point average requirements were were high and i was putting myself through college and so i was working full-time while i went to school full-time and it was just you know (laughs) yeah yeah So it was just one of those things. And so um, I shifted more towards academia. So when I graduated uh, with my bachelor's, I was uh, dating a woman who was from Connecticut and decided to follow her to Connecticut and was just looking for work because I pretty much knew I had to go to grad school. So I figured I just needed a job that I could do that. And there was a, you know, a teaching position that I could take, and I sort of uh, stumbled into it. So I started teaching in Connecticut for two years. Okay, um, yeah. Assuming that I was going to go to grad school. All
0: right. Now, um, back in those those old days, as you called them, did you uh, wh- what did you need to teach? Because I know now it's like you know you got to have a master's, you got to have a certificate from the state, and all this stuff. Right? Um, was it the same way back then, but to a lesser degree, or?
1: No, it was, but um, because I taught at a Catholic school, I did not have to meet those same standards. I did not have to get a certification. So I was hired because I had the academic background for the subjects that I was going to teach. Mm -hmm. And so um, I taught for two years there without a credential, but I made substantially less money than a public school teacher in, in Connecticut. So...
0: Yeah, that, that's something I, I know. Cause I, I used to teach for a, a minute and that was like one of the things, you know, you didn't need all the credentials to do, um, you know, your, your private schools, but at the same time, the pay cut on an already low salary was substantial. So
1: my, my, uh, my first, um, my first annual salary was $16,600. <laughs> so that was, that was my first year of teaching. So yeah. I bought, I bartended, I worked in the catering business. So I, you know,
0: yep. had to hustle. Got to make it work. So you, uh, did, did you enjoy it? Was it something that you just kind of fell in love with as you were starting? Or it-
1: yeah. I, well, obviously I didn't fall in love with the salary, but I did. <laughs> I liked the work, but that idea of having to get the credential and going for, you know, additional coursework and all this other stuff. I would, I would, you know, I was already pretty heavily in debt for my bachelor's degree. And in fact, I I got accepted to American university for a a master's program and I had to walk away from it because I couldn't get enough um, uh, funding money to to do it. And I just couldn't afford taking on more debt. Um, And then, um, so when I got laid off after my second year, I got laid off because of low enrollment. I was the last one hired. So I was the first one fired. And so um, I decided to go into corporate work. So I, I went back to Delaware and I got a job with Chase Manhattan Bank. And then I spent the next five and a half years with Chase. And so, um, you know, tried to switch gears and go back to my original international business thing.
0: Right. And then and I guess you ended up uh, in California back in, the, back in the school system, sort of.
1: Well, what did yeah, so what had happened was I worked in Delaware and then I was uh transferred to New York City. I lived there for 2 years working for Chase. At one point I was I was like in the uh corporate headquarters at Chase Plaza in in Wall Street. And then um I just kind of got sick of being in the winter and all the other stuff. <laughs> And I just, one day I was like, why am I here? I'm single. I don't have any reason. You know, it just doesn't matter. And I had never been to California before. And I kept hearing about how the weather was so awesome in San Diego. And I just picked up and I moved. And uh, luckily, I was able to get a job here with Chase again. So I quit, came here, got rehired. Um, and then worked for two years uh, while I got a second, while I got my master's degree. Uh, it was it was a bizarre thing actually. I I started working part t- or um on a um, what would you call it? Kind of like a an internship, a paid internship. And the boss really liked my work, and she was like, "Hey, there's a position open. Will you apply for it?" And I said, "Absolutely not. I'm, I'm here to, I'm here to get my state residency so I can get a master's." And she goes, "Well, what if I paid for your master's?" And I was like i'm in (laughs) so and that's what i did and then i ended up getting laid off from chase in 1995 and then i was basically out of work doing odd jobs um just to stay afloat until i got hired at my current position in
0: 1996 okay so you've been there a little that's
1: why i went back to teaching
0: how was it going back to teaching was that one of those like
1: it was twofold actually um on the one respect after working in corporate America where you literally only got two weeks of vacation a year and you were always in a suit and you were always doing this and you were always, you know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, the 60 to 70 hour work weeks and all the rest of it. So on one level I, I found going to back to the classroom, so refreshing because it was so much more liberation for you because, you know, you're allowed to be creative and, your classroom's your classroom and you can kind of run it. You don't have to worry about, you know, somebody directing what you do. But at the same time, I realized that if I was going to stay in that career, I was going to have to get a credential, which meant going, you know, through the hoops. And, um, and I wasn't really sure that that was going to work. Uh, but, Again, it was a Catholic school, and as a practicing Catholic, that was really nice to be in an environment where it was okay to pray, it was okay to talk about God, it, you know in a it's a very unusual w- world when you think about it that you're teaching history, but then you have to tiptoe around all these historical truths and realities because it's a public school, and so I just got to avoid all of that, you know so you know, nice. yeah
0: I can imagine that uh, I'm from upstate New York myself. And, you know, um, we just, we moved down here to, to Georgia and the amount of God that's in the public school. And like, you know, they'll, they'll all like kind of say things, they'll say like a prayer before, like uh, a blessing before lunch or whatever in the cafeteria and all these little things that are, nobody bats an eye at, you know, it's just like the normal way of things. But I I just, Imagine what would happen if somebody tried to do that, like in, in New York, be all over, uh, but,
1: um, or California, it would just, it would, they would make a federal case out of it. It's just, it's unreal. Yeah.
0: Um, so I'm kind of curious, because you, you said that, uh, you know, one of the things about having your classroom was, um, not having somebody looking over your shoulder, right? Your classroom is, is your classroom. Um, and I know the, the parochial schools, you kind of have a little bit more, more leeway in that, um. Do you still have that sort of leeway? Was that something that that has
1: well? How's that age? You know, yeah. Well, it's I've probably aged more than it has, but it's um, you know I would put it more like this: in a in a Catholic in a private school or Catholic, you know Christian school religious school environment, um, you have you have the curriculum, but it has to serve a higher purpose so you are given the state requirements because every kid has to follow those in order to get that diploma but then um you have permission basically to open up the conversation and the narrative in a way that in en- you know encompasses those things and i'm not saying that it becomes sort of like a religious class just that um you know, it's okay for me to explain how Thanksgiving was quite literally a holiday of praise to God for the fact that people had survived a harrowing amount of death and pestilence, and and um I don't have to I don't have to tiptoe around that, and I don't have to apologize for it, and I don't have to worry about a parent getting all bent out of shape because I happen to man- mention, um, you know, the fact that American um, culture has a very strong uh Protestant a Christian ethic to it. That's just the way it is. As a as a Roman Catholic, I can I can talk about how historically that was very detrimental to Catholics who came to America because they were very prejudiced against it. Was, it's, it's still a very heavy prejudice that exists in America. Um, but um, in a in a Catholic classroom we could talk about the fact that Christian biblical norms were you know the structural foundation to a lot of social constructs and not have to feel like somebody's going to come over my shoulder and just be like oh no wait a minute you needed to censor that because you don't want to offend you know so and so and uh you know and so you know it's just nice yeah
0: and it is interesting to think about it from that sort of point of view right that this Sort of thing, whether you believe in it or not, is so embedded in in history, and you're kind of saddled a little bit with it. You can't you can't get into it, you know. You're just tethered in. And, and
1: well, you know, and I'll give you a good, a really good example from U.S. history. So in the in the from about 1790s up until the 1830s, there was a major religious revival that's referred to as the Second Great Awakening, and it's Protestant, very Protestant. And it leads to the creation of what we refer to as evangelical Protestantism and, in, 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 you know, literally across the entire United States at the time. And when you when you cover it in textbooks that are, you know, for the most part, written by Marxists, um, it's it's couched in a sort of what I refer to as the science of other you, you you describe it as if it's some sort of alien thing that has been imposed on society and has to be understood. And, um, and so um, I don't teach it that way. I, I I, I teach it more along the lines of what was the message? What was that biblical message that was being, uh, you know, advanced and proselytized? And when you do that, there's a whole series of social reform movements that start at around that same time. Every one of them was led by people from the Second Great Awakening movement. So when people sit there and talk about what we today call the quote-unquote liberal agenda, which is racial issues and women's rights and all this other stuff, those all came from reformers who were educated, if you will, and trained in this second grade awakening phenomena, so to try to separate God from that conversation is ahistorical. It's it's not accurate, but more importantly, it raises children to think that you either have religion or you have reform, and that's 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 not what you should be teaching people. I I don't care if a child wants to grow up and decide that they don't want to be religious or they don't want to believe in God or anything. That, that that I have no. Qualms with that at all. But as an educator, I feel it's important to be just let's be straightforward. This was a nominal religious revival, it spread across the entire United States. Everyone was affected by it, even if they didn't embrace it. And so, for instance, the abolitionist movement that springs out at that time period this is these, you know, Lyman Beecher, who was a major um, evangelical pastor. He was going town to town. He made freeing slaves part of a conversion process. In other words, if you were going to embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you had to be against slavery. Now, that, that's a direct Christian narrative, you, you know, and, and so there are a lot of books that don't even have Lyman Beecher in it. And yet Lyman Beecher's daughter was Harriet Beecher Stowe, who wrote... Uncle Tom's Cabin, you know, and and his daughter Catherine Beecher was a leading feminist in her time.
0: It's really, it, it's interesting that I, I haven't really thought about it from that that point of view necessarily. But I think when you when you try to separate it like that, like it almost undermines any future progress that you could make with with these things. Really understanding it, you you know, it's all you understand is part of it, and you know you can't build a car if all you know how to do is make a wheel roll like uh, you know right. but
1: and by the way that's the, it also happens on the on the right so when you know the, sort of like Chris, uh, Christian conservatives get that same narrative so what happens they grow up with resentment because they see that you know here's this religious movement off in isolation and sort of uh, separated apart from the rest of the narrative and they grow up to think well that's different and it's like no you're a part of that your 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 theology is a part of that and and if you taught it that way, I think you could find moments where the two sides could come together to find the common ground
0: yes <laughs> yeah totally i mean that's that's yeah do you see colleagues uh, taking the same sort of perspective that that have the same sort of idea on on history are you kind of on your own or how does that work
1: Well I mean everybody's very different um I'm Prob- well, I shouldn't make a generalization like it. I, yeah. I feel like everybody tries to incorporate their sense of faith and their understanding of their own faith journey into their into their instruction, and so everybody has to go where they're most comfortable, um, because um, you know teenagers know when you're faking it.
0: <laughs> yes, they do, uh-huh.
1: and you know if if you try to push um a narrative that they know you're just squawking um they're they're not gonna buy it and and it makes the classroom environment incredibly tense so um you know you go with what you know
0: i've 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 been there i've been there <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to teach some of those things that they tell you you have to teach and I just like. I I don't have the buy-in and uh, not there, but now how much, how much interaction do you have with um, the public school system?
1: I have very little, I have friends that are teachers in the public schools, but um, I've, I mean, to be quite honest, I avoid them like the plague in California. There, there are pockets of unbelievable um, excellence, but on the whole, California is something like 47th out of 50 in terms of how well they're educating students. There's an unbelievable control here by the teachers unions. Uh they have uh, they have unbelievable political power in California. And so there are um there are school districts that haven't even started yet because the teachers just simply refuse to go to the classroom. And they're using COVID as, you know, their mask if you will and um you know they're basically being paid to stay home and uh you know it's um as opposed to my school which is doing a hybrid model and we just finished half of our semester already we're already halfway through the fall really yeah because we started in august and we said we're just gonna go we're just gonna you know put our trust in the divine and we, we clean like crazy, we scrub everything like crazy, everybody wears a mask and social distancing. But um, yeah, we're, and we've had one uh, case of, right. But you know, so California is in a particularly bad space. And so I tried to avoid the public school thing because it's, um, yeah, it's like the third rail. I mean, you touch it, you die. I mean, it's just, you
0: know. Do you see many kids coming from the public school into uh, your school?
1: We had a mad rush. So just to give you an idea of just how dysfunctional it is. So when we finished last year, when we finished in this in June, um, the the announcement at the time was that once this surge ended, that schools would be allowed to prepare for the fall. And so... Um, My school spent uh, over a half a million dollars on new equipment for the air system, for cleaning materials for the classrooms, for um, other types of PPE, in order to be ready to open fully in August. Then in July, uh, you know, July, right? Um, Not even, you know, a little over a month before classes start. Um, the governor, on his own, decided that it was too risky, and he, sh- and he closed the schools. But he, he, only co- he only closed the public schools. Okay. And so um, we announced that we were going to go forward. We were going to implement all of our half a million dollars, which, by the way, half a million dollars took a lot of money from needy kids who try to get a parochial education. But we did that. And guess what? The moment we announced that we were going to be open, there was a floodgate of phone calls from public (laughs) school parents wanting to send their kids to our school. That's awesome. Two days later, the governor went on and clarified that he meant all schools, including private and parochial schools. Okay. So apparently the unions got on the phone and said, don't you dare let those private schools stay open because we'll be out of business. So you know, here we go. You know, nanny state government coming in and saying, we're going to save all of you. We're going to save your lives by keeping you out of school. It, you know, there's, there's no science to back that up. And there's just absolutely nothing but arbitrary power involved there. It's very, very frustrating. So then he changed his mind and said, we could go online Went, and and you know what I mean? This whole thing—it's just been absolutely insane. You know, it's the same kind of logic that says that if you go to a bar, um, you you're going to get COVID, but if you get a beer and five dollars worth of food, you won't. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know.
0: Yeah. No, it's 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 um it's finally getting to me. I'm finally just like, I mean, I, I was over it in the beginning, but I'm finally just like really over it now. Like, man, Yeah. but.
1: And, you know, here's the real danger, Ben. The danger is we have so terrified children. We have so terrified young people that even when I have half my kids in my classroom, right? In other words, the other half are on Zoom and half of them are literally in the classroom. They don't talk to each other. (sighs) Yeah. How how are these kids going to be How are they going to grow up to be socially stable people? when they literally see other people as potential killers because of their breath.
0: Yeah. The, the, the social implications of this whole thing. And, and just the, like, I, I know some kids, my, my, my children have friends and I know some that like, and granted they're, you know, it's a little bit of hyperbole, but like half the people in the world are, are going to die from this, have already died from this, whatever. Like these, you know, astronomical numbers. And like, I, I, even to like exaggerate that much is you know your, your base that you're exaggerating off of is is immensely out of proportion um, and it's just it's scary it's scary. Um,
1: well and you're, we're teaching our kids to be irrational. We're teaching our kids to let fear dictate how they conduct their lives and that has been the opposite of why I teach. The, you know the whole reason for being a teacher is to inculcate into children that fear should never be a motivator. you should in, engage yourself into knowing, and to thinking, and then deciding, right? And it's it's just you can't. Um, I'm I'm 57. I have an uh, um, autoimmune disorder, and so I am a more vulnerable person, right? If I get, if I, I'm more likely to get sick, and if I get sick, I'm more likely to get really sick, right? But I can go and I can look at the numbers and I can see that 99 some percent of people who are infected will have no fear of dying whatsoever. I then have to look at my choices and decide. I mitigate the risk by saying I will wear a mask whenever I'm in an environment where I can't socially distance and I don't know who these people are and I don't know where they've been and all the rest of it. I make that choice but I don't stop living my life because if I do that, then I've allowed fear to dictate my own level of happiness. And, and we're not teaching this to children. Now we're teaching them to be afraid to make their decisions based on fear. And it's just fear leads to more government, right? Fear is how governments get you to give up more of your freedom.
0: Yeah. I've seen it, seen it time and again. And again, yeah. this year, this yeah. past year, but, um,
1: and that's why so many people are homeschooling now.
0: Yeah. And I, I think there has been a, a number of people that, that have. And I think we're still kind of, there's people homeschooling and there's people doing like the, you know, like the online homeschool thing. It's not, not quite homeschool, but you know, we'll call it that way. And if that's, if that's the, the step that you need to take, um, that you know.
1: Well, my hope is, my hope is that when parents are, are working with their kids on online for their curriculum. I'm hoping that parents will really start looking at the curriculum.
0: I think they, yeah,
1: you know, start reading the materials that their kids are being given, and really start to scrutinize what the public schools are trying to, quote unquote, teach your your kids.
0: I think I I, I know uh, I've spoken to some people that have have spoke to that, um, but also too I think the the amount of busy work, the amount of like you know why is this taking six hours a day why you know you just you know whatever you just did there um like you know why does it take that long so it's it will be interesting to see how it all pans out with everything and you know you consider the size of of schools and everything that they they are you know the union how big the union is um you know what's what's going to happen to that because that's uh it's a big big fish to fry um
1: oh yeah very big (laughs) (laughs)
0: Well, I'm kind of wondering what, what would your, your ideal school system look like? I mean, like if you, you know, public schools obviously aren't, aren't working. They haven't been working for the last, I don't know how many years. Um, but you know, what, what are are your thoughts on, on that?
1: So, um, I'm actually working part-time this year so that I could focus on some other stuff. I I just published one book in January and I'm working on another one now that I hope to have published next January, if, if not soon after, but the book that I've started researching on is about education. And the, the, here's the, the key thing. Uh, Education needs to change in the sense that it should respect the learner wherever the learner happens to be. Um, What we've done really in the past, I would say 20 years, is we've tried to shove every single child into one path, which is a college-based path, that in my opinion results in a lot of bad college and in a a lot of very disgruntled graduates of college. you can give somebody a degree in education and they could be a horrible teacher. So now what you've got 40, $50,000 worth of debt and you can't get a job as a teacher. Um, yay. Uh, and now, and that's all been done by the way, to improve that person's self-esteem. It wasn't because there was any kind of data that backed it up. There was no, there was no demand for this many people to graduate from college this was a false demand created by a government that decided that an only, the only way that a child will feel good about themselves is if they get into college and get a degree. Right. And now that's that's horrible because what if you're in seventh grade and you just don't want to do it, or you can't, you you don't have that academic drive and that academic, um, you know, um, propensity. Um, you are now going to spend the next five years of your life being told that you're essentially not as good as everyone else. Whereas, you know, wh- you know, you and I grew up in New York, and in New York, they had the BOCES program where you know you could go into vocational training the last two years of of school.
0: I, I remember, I, I when I was teaching, it, it was there was a kid. It was you know he's just a total gearhead, and that's really what he should have done. But you know, got. Pushed in to go to college, and he was done after a year. And who knows how much debt he has, and who knows how much time and money he could have saved if he had just gone into a trade like that. And there was nothing wrong with that. He loved it. He was good at it. And why not? How many kids does that happen to? You know,
1: exactly right. And and I'll say to you know, and I'm in a po- college prep school, by the way, so you you understand. But um, you know, I'll say to students all the time, um, you know, if you are a you know if you don't think being a plumber is a lucrative reality. <laughs> wait until your garbage disposal breaks down on Thanksgiving and then tell me how much a plumber can mm-hmm. make because I had to do that once and it was a hundred dollars just for them to come to my house. Mm-hmm. So don't denigrate these things. And more importantly, these are, these are jobs that can't be, um, outsourced to India or China or other places. Right. When you need a mechanic, he has to physically be here. When your when your air conditioning breaks down, the guy has to physically come to your house, right? You can't you can't call in or do a Zoom call with, you know, some guy in South, you know, India and have him walk you through it, right? I mean, tech support will not help you when your heater's broken. Right. This is the kind of stuff that, you know, we could be setting children up for perfectly fine middle-class lifestyles with virtually no debt whatsoever to start their lives. And, and, and we're not doing that because we've decided right in all of our infinite wisdom that um, we know what's best for all of them. And it's the same thing. So in in Germany and most of Europe, by the way, they have the three track educational system. Uh, There's regular high school and that's kind of for people with low skills or people who are just not very motivated, right? Mm-hmm. And even for those even for those students by the time they leave high school at 18, they've lined up jobs for them, whether it's being like a clerk at a store or helping out at a hospital or doing other things, they've already been moved into these jobs, right? And uh, the other is the vocational track, like we talked about, and and the third is the academic, which is an additional year of high school. In fact, <laughs> they actually go until they're nineteen and um, and they're fed right through the system, but it is grueling. Our kids would not be able to do it. My, my college prep students would really struggle yeah um, but but when you go to college, you don't do all this general education stuff. You go right into your degree. It's three years. You, you know, and it's, and it's dog eat dog. Um, if you don't make it goodbye, they, they, there's, there's just none of that tomfoolery in it. And, um, they even control how many people can be in which majors based on what they perceive to be the future demand of that career. Interesting. Yeah. But here's where they're, this is where they're wrong. The European system's wrong because there's there's no what I call forgiveness. So um, let's say, so for instance, in most of the European models, there's a battery of exams that are given to children when they're in junior high school. And that determines which track you go on. So what that means is, you know, if you were me in seventh grade and a mm-hmm. total squirrel yeah, and, you know, you know, suffering from a, a bout of, you know, hd you know, T- pdq, as you know, whatever, and and you know, academics was like kind of like the last thing on your agenda. Um, you're going to be put into that one track, and you never get out of it. It means it's so you know a lot of you know like how Bernie Sanders talked about we need to be more like Europe, where college was free. I always tell it when I talk to students that you have to define free, right? <laughs> yeah. So, First of all, the taxes are incredibly high to pay for that free college. But the second thing is, if you don't qualify to go, you can't go to college. It's not about whether you pay or not. It's you're not going to go. It's
0: free college for a select few.
1: That's right. And so um, the problem with that is there's no no ability for somebody to say, get into ninth grade like I did and start to realize, oh, I kind of like this stuff. Oh, I kind of like, you know, languages. You know, so I took two years of Latin and got A's. Right? But in the German system, that wouldn't have mattered. They would have, first of all, I probably wouldn't even have been given right. classes in Latin. But um I it would have been like, okay, well, you want to take Spanish class? Great, take Spanish, but you know, it doesn't it's not counting towards anything. Right. Well, so Germany for and I know Germany because I was an exchange student there. And the German Germans have one of the lowest youth unemployment rates in the world because of this system. But the problem is there's a huge problem when these people hit their thirties and forties because you hit a wall because everybody does. Right. But for me, because I already have a bachelor's, if all of a sudden I found out I can't do this job and I need to go into a different field, I can go to college and get additional training and go do those things. Well, they can't because they don't have any of the preliminary work necessary to go to college. So now they're screwed. And, and so, and by the way, they're the ones, if you're following the sort of current history, they're the ones who are against immigration into Europe because those people are coming in and taking over jobs that are the only jobs they're qualified to do. And yet they're being, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that, and so our, the, the system that I envisioned for us is what I call tracks and bridges it's good to track the students because you should go with where they are. Right. If a kid's not motivated and doesn't want to learn, pushing him into an AP class is the dumbest thing in the world. And believe me, I see it all the time. And, and so put them over, but then there should be constant ways for them to judge, junch- jump around. And, and, you know, constant being able to adjust, including by the way, using community colleges so that when you're older, and you finally wake up and realize, wow, minimum wage really sucks. <laughs> There's a way for you to take a bridge and get into a different path.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I remember that. You know, like being able to to move around or getting in sort of some of those tracks. You know, like seems like getting in AP classes and then it was that was all you could do. You know, there was no like, maybe I don't want to do this or maybe I want to do AP this, but not AP math. And it wasn't really an option. You know, it was kind of like and and let's face it, I mean, what what high schooler knows like what they're gonna do? Right? You know, what I mean like what like two percent, five percent of like high school kids like actually, you know, but uh
1: and even and and like let's say you doubled that. Let's say you said it was four or five percent out of that 5% that say know exactly what they want to major in and they go in there, I would say almost half of them will change their major. Now that's the kind of thing that has to happen. And again, right, that's part of this, not respecting the learner where they are. And instead trying to put them someplace where you think they have to be. And, and by the way, this isn't just schools. This is parents. Parents today are just really terrible uh, where they aspire to things that are not based in reality at all, and then essentially blame the teachers and the system for the fact that their kids struggling. Yeah, and it's like, why are you putting your child in a AP course when they have neither the ambition nor the talent? Well, it's because they've convinced themselves that they'll get into a better school if they take AP, and it's on their college resume. It's like, okay, okay, and administrators don't want to fight it because.
0: I hear. Have you seen more of that in, in the last? Oh yeah. That? Yeah. It, it,
1: yeah. And, 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 um, uh, it's been easier this year, which was kind of funny is I've noticed that there's an incredibly larger increase of appreciation for teachers this year than there has been in my entire career, because I think after four months of having to teach their kids themselves, they were just like, Oh my Lord, this, yeah. I can never do this. Um, So that's been really good. But yeah, I think there's still a lot of parents out there that think that um, education is supposed to be a, um, how would I put it? Almost like a, a concierge service, you know, like you're supposed to go into each of your classes and say, well, now, you know, Timmy's very smart, but you know, Timmy really doesn't like to do homework. Timmy, you know, Timmy has a hard time staying focused on his homework. And so, He's not always able to get his work done on time. So he needs a little bit of flexibility with that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll wait two days and give him a zero. I don't know what to tell you. I, you know, I'll be flexible. Um, you know, these are the things that, uh, and I don't know where it comes from, to be honest. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's. It's
0: weird. I, I don't know, but I imagine with all the, you know, the participation awards and everybody, you know, all the feel good and yes. it just, it, yeah. it gets pushed along. And now, you know, that generation, we're part. having kids and this is yep. it, you know, my kid doesn't feel good because he's not getting his homework done. And he gets a zero. So what can we do to make him feel good? And it's, we're, we don't think about, you know, the, the further outcomes of that, but.
1: Yeah, so you have, this, you have this movement in education right now called restorative justice and restorative academics where a child could do really horrible things and they don't get expelled, they don't get punished, they have a conversation with um, their instructor and they decide how they're going to restore the relationship. And, and, um, and, and then in academics... Uh, a kid can simply turn nothing in and still get a 50% as long as they've had a conversation and they understand that, you know, somebody was disrespected or somebody's feelings were hurt. And now we're going to move forward and find out when exactly Timmy might feel comfortable getting his homework done. And so, and so now teachers are literally still collecting homework on the very last day of a grading period. Um, because, to give little Timmy a zero is to um, permanently harm his self esteem and and and
0: yeah. <laughs> oh man, the things the I things think, we teach you know, them I right there
1: and I think what is this? What's this child going to do when he really faces genuine struggle, hardship, challenges? Boss and needs a job done. there. Uh, I just don't know how that works. I mean, I can't imagine my, I I worked for Chase Manhattan Bank for five and a half years. It was like a a very high pressure job that I did. I can't imagine any of my supervisors being okay with me saying, you know, I know that we really had this deadline set, but you know, I'm experiencing a little of anxiety and I'm really feeling bad about this, but I just, you know, I need to you know, communicate that I'm, I'm feeling bad and I need some time in order to I'd be done. It would, there wouldn't have been a conversation. There wouldn't been a restoration of the relationship. It would have been like, goodbye. Yeah.
0: It's the end of the relationship.
1: Yay. yay for Marxism.
0: It's- <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully with the, you know, the, the homeschooling, we kind of can get on some of that, you know, where you, you are able to, to have those conversations and develop that. And, you know, you are, you're coming, like you, you are with your child you know what it is that they excel at you know and they have that freedom to to decide those things and find those things out um
1: and so when you're when you're doing a science lesson and you need to uh, understand a certain amount of evolution and you know your kid's crazy about dinosaurs you use dinosaurs to get your kid to understand the concept but it, but a teacher in a classroom of 35 kids can't do that yeah and it's tricky so You know it's a tricky thing, but the but the homeschoolers have to be really super careful in that it gets very easy to go to quote quote, unquote alternative materials that that may not be the best for measuring ability or um, giving your child the full information that they need, and so there's these gaps in what they have, and then they end up later, say in college, where they are going to be competing against their peers. And all of a sudden, realize there are these gaps in their their knowledge. Uh, that's that's the other side that you have to be very concerned about with homeschooling.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of those things that I, I'm not sure how to to come at that quite yet.
1: I think I think a good thing to do would be to, to create resource groups. Yeah, and and, and, to, and to sit there and say, hey, you know what? You know, so for instance, I had told a friend of mine who homeschools that. Look, if you have a pot of kids and they want somebody to come in and do U.S. history stuff, I'll do it. You
0: know, and you're seeing more of that, I think, with like, yeah. like the little oh, yeah. little co-ops popping up, little you know, yep. trading here and there. And I think there's, there's one in my
1: church.
0: Oh, nice, nice.
1: Yeah, I go to a, I go to a Latin mass uh, Catholic church, and all of the moms uh, pretty much homeschool for the most part, at least for elementary school, and they're all sharing. In fact, the priests do Latin classes for the oh, kids. Very cool. So, you know, no better source for Latin than a priest. Yeah, right.
0: So. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and, and I know, like, because there's, there's tons of resources online, and I think, like, if you want to dial in and figure out, you know, what the the state provides and, and fill some of those holes, um, you know, you can. And I think, I don't know. Well, we'll see. I haven't quite crossed that bridge yet. We're still 10. 10 is our oldest, so. <laughs> I,
1: I, I am I am convinced of one thing. Until millions of parents pull their kids out and homeschool them, the system will not change. Oh, yeah. Because there's no incentive for it to change. You're all forced into one way of school. And if you can't afford or can't get a scholarship to go to a school like mine, uh, you're, you're in a sense done. And, and so until there are really sizable – and maybe this is it. Maybe this is the moment that makes it all happen – but until there are sizable numbers of people who are opting out of the public system, it's not going to change. It won't change.
0: No. And then it, uh, you know, hope, hope some things will, but um, I, I don't, I don't think it will um, anytime soon. It's too bad because the kids are the ones that uh, end up getting hurt the most and then Absolutely. filters onto their kids. So, but exactly right. before I let you go, um, I know you, so you, you mentioned two books, one book you have out and uh, another one, Hopefully coming out soon or not tomorrow. Which, well, I, guess, I guess it's October. I guess right. it I'm, is I'm, soon.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. Soon. <laughs> I don't
0: even know what month it is anymore.
1: I have about, I give myself about three hours of writing time a week to work on this book. So my first book is called The American Revolution with R-E capitalized, hyphen And that's because um, everybody starts talking about destroying the system or getting rid of the system or changing the system. And it's like, you know, actually, if you take about an hour and read what the system was designed to do, you will, A, realize that it's a pretty good system, and B, we're not living under that system. So maybe if we don't have a revolution, but instead have a revolution, we can fix a lot of the problems that we we think we're, are insurmountable. Um, And so I go through things like immigration and social security and all this other stuff to kind of give a, what I call a libertarian spin uh, to those. The the book I'm working on now is about California and it's called the Bear Flag Republic because California has lost its way. (laughs) California used to be one of the most innovative and open and free states in the union, which I believe made it the golden state. And now we're just all living off of that reputation. And uh, it's going downhill pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And then my education book is going to be called School Recess that I hope will be out next year, probably more towards the end uh, of next year. And then the other thing that I would tell any of your listeners that they're interested, if you go to YouTube um, and type in Professor D'Angelo, I have two series of podcasts that are on there. One on early American history and one on modern American history. So if anybody needs resources for their homeschooled students, especially for um, high school, uh, U.S. history classes, there are um, 32 uh, podcasts on there. There's over 40 hours worth of podcasts. And I also did one on writing skills. Um, So uh, people should definitely feel free to do it. And of course, obviously I benefit from it because if YouTube sees all these people.
0: Yeah. um, Are they animated?
1: No, they're PowerPoints okay. with a voiceover.
0: Okay.
1: PowerPoints have, you know, different pictures and maps and all this other stuff. A lot of, and m- all of my students use them.
0: That's awesome. I'll, so, I'll link to um, all that in the, the show notes there. Yeah. I, I know was bit, earlier I had, I had seen something on YouTube that popped up with, I think it just was D'Angelo. But um, yeah,
1: you got to be careful because there's, there's a, there's a Robin D'Angelo that's spelled D.I. And she's the white priv- uh, white fragility author <laughs> and uh, there is no relation whatsoever <laughs> between oh no,
0: man us. all right so,
1: but yeah that, by all means people should I welcome everyone to come and get those as much as you can I'm, I'm hoping at some point to do a series on American government as well
0: awesome yeah. that would be that would be spectacular I will put those links in the show notes and uh, right. listen to those myself wow. so. well, I, I appreciate your time uh, uh, no Ben I really That was Don. A lot to say, and uh, it was all pretty pertinent stuff. I encourage you guys to go to the show notes and check out his books. Go to his YouTube. Check that out as well. Uh, there's lots of good information in there. Quality information in there, and uh, really just kind of good stuff to to know and to share with your kids. I'm looking forward to his other books coming out. I try to remind you guys when they when they do come out. Um, remind you all out there that uh, he's got something else coming. Hey anyway, guys, uh, I think that's it for this week. If you have any ideas for shows, um, let me know. I got a, a couple guests coming up that I, I think you'll like. I hope you like. Um, but it's always always good to get feedback and let me know. Uh, what, what do you want here? I know this week was uh, two two weeks of homeschooling stuff in a row, but uh, that's that's how how it all landed. I've gone for eighty eight weeks, eighty nine weeks, I guess, of uh, back and forth, but not anymore. Anyway guys, thank you for, for listening. Thank you for hearing me out. Keep using that Amazon link, homesteads slash Amazon. I appreciate it. Anyways, that's that's it for this week. Get out there. So those of liberty can dreamy. all reap cheese of freedom together. I'm dream.